Welcome to Industry Leaders Journey, where we explore the lives and careers of conscious leaders who are making a positive impact on this world while they transform the supply chain and procurement business. My name is Su Shem. Welcome to 2023. I'm so excited to kick this season off with Sandra Bromet, who is the CPO at Nysource, a utility company in the USA. Sandra and I covered a wide range of topics from the Inflation Act to supplier diversity to immigrant culture and her personal philanthropic passions. All topics deeply personal to Sandra. She's the daughter of Guyanese immigrants and now a caring mother of five who volunteers in her local community. Sandra is real, a real mom, daughter, and a woman whom we can relate to. Now, let's begin this journey. Hi, Sandra. Nice to see you again. How are you today? I'm great, Sue. Nice to see you as well. Thank you so much for joining our podcast. I'm looking forward to having a great conversation today. As am I. It's always great when I talk to you. Yes. All right, Sandra, actually, I wanted to um, introduce you to the audience first. So I know you're relatively new as a CPO and really exciting. And then you have an awesome different background so that uh, I think uh, we can learn a lot from you, from your expertise. And so why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit briefly, like currently your company, where you work and then your title, everything. Excellent. Will do. Uh, Sandra Brummett. I am the Chief Procurement and Corporate Services Officer at NYSource. NYSource is a public utility company. We are across six states. I'm sitting in Ohio today. We also serve customers in Indiana, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Maryland. And so it's a great group of six states that we serve both gas and electric customers. I have a a different background in that I started in the chief procurement and corporate services officer role in January of 2021 after having primarily a finance background. So I led the corporate tax organization at NYSource when I joined in 2019 and have spent a lot of time in my career in the corporate tax space, but also supported finance more broadly in investor relations, as well as merger and integration work over my time in the power and utility space at companies like Constellation and Exelon, and also spent time in retail at Walmart, where I moved from Bentonville, Arkansas, actually, to NYSource here in Ohio in 2019. Wow, what a vast different background. So that's why I'm very interesting to learn some other things from you and the new perspective coming into procurement for sure. But I know you even have an even more interesting background. You mentioned all these states from the United States, but actually your family is not from states. Remind me where you guys are from. Yeah, my family is from Guyana, South America. Um, So my parents immigrated to the United States in the late 60s. I actually had the opportunity to spend the weekend with my parents and my three older sisters. My parents just celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. So it is, you know, great to have, you know, the experience of having family that's immigrated to the United States and getting that perspective. My dad became a citizen actually just a, a couple of years ago. So you know, different background there as well. But you you were born in the States where your siblings are born in Ghana. That's correct. Yeah, I have, there are four girls. We're all S's. Two of us were born in the United States and two were born abroad in Guyana, South America. So yeah, we have quite a background. A lot of my dad's siblings settled in Maryland and I've also lived all over the U.S. as well. 
So how is it like the cultural difference? Like your parents are definitely more Ghanaian than American, I guess, as you were growing up. So tell me a little bit about that cultural differences or like how did that different culture shape you as a American? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So my parents are Guyanese. Um, so Guyana is a country in the northern part of South America between Venezuela and Suriname. It's the only English speaking country in South America with English as their official language. And so I would say that growing up in the United States, my parents definitely came as the land of opportunity. So that's how they really raised us. We were sharing quite a bit about over the weekend, uh, some of the stories, but we're definitely, we're focused on our culture. So very different foods. The folks that settled in South America definitely enjoyed. So it's Indian, Chinese, as well as the British, you know, English culture. And so enjoying really great foods that span between chow mein and, you know, curry. So I would say with foods and traditions, certainly very different, but integrated given, you know, how long we've been in the United States that we're able to enjoy both. So it's been wonderful. That's great. So yeah, we'll talk about a little bit later on uh, your community service and then how you've been balancing your work-life balance with the community and then how it's all gets shaped through your, you know, your, I guess, childhood background. So that was really interesting how you like really emphasizing this community support, you know. I want to dive into actually right away start with a really just big topics that I've been reading a lot about and then because it's you're you're from the states and then you have some tax background because I'm very interested in the climate change topic in general I, probably many people know about that and then inflation reduction act that just was approved recently by Biden's government that kind of impacts your industry, right? Utilities. And then this is a lot to do with the tax incentives, right? So the act itself is really playing with the federal tax. So I think you probably have some perspective on this area. What's your perspective on this Inflation Reduction Act? And then how will this act impact that strategy and investment decisions that NYSER is going to make? Great question. You know, the Inflation Reduction Act was passed by President Biden in August of this year, and it really covers a lot of territory. Obviously, there are revenue raisers as well as incentives that were provided by the act. You're absolutely right. I have a tax background. So a lot of what was done from a tax perspective, I'm very familiar with. And a lot can benefit companies like NYSource. The IRA is, is, it is now affectionately called for short, introduces a new production tax credit for hydrogen that's produced after 2022 for a 10-year period from the date that the project's placed in service. Um, so that is certainly going to encourage production tax credits for hydrogen. It's it's also introduced a new investment tax credit equal to the energy percentage that's really focused on the cost basis of specified clean hydrogen production facilities. So another area where as companies like NYSource try to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, it provides another opportunity with clean hydrogen production to do so. A lot of those incentives related to hydrogen are really new. So that's exciting for companies like NYSource, which has a mix of gas and electric investments. Right. Because I remember you talked about that, you know, you guys have a coal plan. Those coal plants are going to be retired soon, right? So what is your renewable energy 
plan for Nysource? Like, what is the plan? So explain a little bit more to me about how you guys planning to retire the coal plant. And then you just mentioned hydrogen. Yeah. So here at Nysource, we've made a number of really remarkable improvements, I would say, in stewarding the environment in our communities. I'm really proud of what we're doing as it relates to Nysource environmental action teams. We're developing targets that are forward-looking. So really, as you just shared, we are looking to reduce and retire our coal facilities. And that's really important. All of that is scheduled to retire by 2028. So a significant focus in reducing coal and and being 100% coal free by rebalancing our energy mix by 2028. In addition to that 90% reduction of greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, we're already at 63% of that um, that's been accomplished. And I know we continue to update those numbers, but really significant progress so far. Right. It's exciting. So because electrifying the grid and the utility sector is a really, really important. That's why I wanted to start with this uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which really focuses a lot on the climate change and then clean energy investment. And that leads me to your role as a CPO and contribution, the strategic role that CPO is now playing. In your opinion, what do you see the role of procurement in your company currently now? Yeah, huge opportunity for procurement at NYSource, but certainly I'm sure as I talk to other chief procurement officers, similar themes exist for companies in the utility space more broadly, as well as folks in other industries. Here at NYSource, I would say with the you know Inflation Reduction Act as an example, a lot of the legislation referenced is really going to support domestic manufacturing. So some of those credits that I mentioned have certain labor requirements, domestic content requirements. And so as we think about raw materials that exist in the United States and how that's leveraged to manufacture and really support this shift, you know, into renewable shift into clean hydrogen and other clean sources, I would say chief procurement officers uh, navigating that shift and communicating to management is going to be extremely critical to the success of company strategies. And so I, I think we'll all play a significant role there. Yeah. So like, I guess uh, you guys will have to find a new source of supplies within USA a lot. And then it's a kind of new, it's like you're becoming a new recruiters, oh, <laughs> finding new innovative suppliers who can help you guys to achieve that new strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say, you know, we we have experiences as chief procurement officers when we've gone through what we've seen thus far in markets. And I, I became a chief procurement officer post pandemic. So in 2021, where everyone was facing, you know, different manufacturing and we still are, uh, you know, manufacturing lead time issues, you know, logistics challenges, et cetera, really being nimble and understanding what suppliers need, new suppliers in the market. So thinking from a supplier diversity perspective as well, making sure we're really expanding and looking at everyone, regardless of scale, that can make a contribution is really critical. Yeah, we'll definitely, I want to talk about the supplier diversity program. So we'll double click on that. And for that, I just want to ask you, what surprised you the most when you became CPO coming from the tax area? Yeah, I, I would say it's interesting that, you know, having a tax background, 
as a tax professional, you really do need to understand what's going on in the company, sort of every transaction, because every transaction can have a tax impact. And so if I shift that over to being a chief procurement officer, every purchase, right, is, you know, sort of under my purview to some extent. Now, that's not entirely true. Fuel for me is handled elsewhere. And there are certain things that I don't manage for my organization, but making sure that I'm looking at what we purchase that's under my purview and whether we think about how we do that from a people, process, or technology company within the organization, but also what suppliers, are we leveraging our scale with our suppliers? Are we identifying strategic partners and key categories? You know, what are our opportunities there? So I think the shift, I would say, from tax to supply chain has been a relatively easy one in that I'm used to looking at transactions. Um, so I've appreciated that. Uh, but certainly the level of partnership with suppliers has been really refreshing in that they're always willing to jump in and help solve problems. And so continuing to do that is critical. Right. So supplier management becoming actually a very strategic aspect of it. So from the procurement, which means buying something, but to the supplier management, which is more relationship thing, right? Absolutely. And that's one of the things I've been able to focus on in this first year is really looking at our supplier base. How do we segment those suppliers to really understand who is strategic? We actually categorize them between strategic, leverage, operational, and tactical. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been through a process this year to really identify how much to invest. Obviously, we invest in all of our suppliers, but because there are specific needs, you know, depending on that, the level of relationship for us to be successful together, we have a, an established process to do that. So when you categorize your uh, suppliers like that, first of all, educate me because I'm not that familiar with the utilities. Like what what type of suppliers? Like uh, when you, because you just also mentioned supply chain, right? So you're managing basically supply chain. So you're not manufacturing. So you're de actually delivering the energy. So explain to me, what are your suppliers structure like? How do you categorize? What is the strategic category versus uh, tactical versus operational? Sure. So one of the things that we do is make sure we're modernizing gas pipelines, right? That is, you know, aging infrastructure uh, in the states that I reference. So a key supplier for us or a key category would be the external labor support. So our, you know, construction labor suppliers would be a very strategic partner for us because in addition to our internal labor force. Um, we do very much rely on that external labor force to execute our work for our customers every day. So that is an important investment that would be considered a strategic supplier. And we want to make sure they understand how our strategy as a company and how we can work better together. It means that those suppliers are, are giving us examples of innovation, best practice, safety, and it's important to have that strong partnership. Mm, that's great because it's called total workforce management and then I actually SAP we have this solution for field glass which really talking about the contingent workforce and then it's interesting how CPO is becoming partner to the HR like a CHRO and then you know you take care of external workforce and then of course the HR talks about these internal employees so but you need to work together right so exactly and that's what I found exciting as well as a chief procurement officer you know, partnering with human resources, but also operations. Uh, so as they think about operational excellence and how they execute that work, how they can do it as safely as possible, 
you know, materials uh, suppliers as well, you know, another strategic category. I think those partnerships across our, our senior executive team being a really cross-functional group is important. Mm-hmm. And okay, so then you, you identify some strategic suppliers and then you categorize a certain group of suppliers, but you also mentioned diversity. So you want a diverse set of suppliers, but also you probably want to keep the strategic small group of suppliers. Explain to me, how do you manage these dynamics or the contrast of diverse suppliers versus strategic suppliers? Yeah, I think that our strategic suppliers often leverage diverse suppliers and they could be diverse suppliers themselves. So for us, supplier diversity, we have very specific categories of diverse suppliers, whether they're minority-owned businesses, women-owned business, veteran-owned, LGBTQ, et cetera. And so we partner with a number of organizations like NMSDC, the National Minority Supplier Diversity Council, et cetera. Who really helps us identify those suppliers, diverse suppliers, who can execute well for us across different cost categories. Um, so it could be a strategic supplier or even a very small supplier. I manage real estate services for our company as well. So that's an example of areas where we are able to leverage very small scale organizations across our states, which means we're supporting local economies. And that's really important to to companies like ours. So actually, I want to really talk about that a little bit more because uh, this diversity program has been around a long time, but it's based on ownership. Sometimes I would like to challenge our CPOs that are we just checking the box and then um, saying that we have a diverse suppliers because the ownership is that way. Some woman owned it. But what if all employees are men? (laughs) Right. That's just an example. So how do we make sure that the ripple effect of the social impact gets really created through the diversity supplier program? What do you do about that? How, what can, as a procurement professionals in general, just not just you and your company, what do you think we need to do to make sure that creating really scalable material social impact Absolutely. I would say, so first of all, you know, NYSource has, has increased uh, our focus. Our goal is 25% diverse spend by 2025. And um, we're thrilled about supporting our local economies and communities and diverse suppliers that way. I do think that you get what you measure. So while we do have to be careful that Um, We aren't rewarding any supplier for what you might call window dressing, because we know that is possible to, because ownership matters, you know, that you could select someone and achieve that definition, but not live the values. Uh, So I do think that by getting to know those diverse suppliers, we're able to have conversations, understand their ownership and decide for ourselves if we believe that they actually should be in our our numbers, right? So we're able to establish our metrics. And if we do find that there are suppliers that are just really window dressing and not really living the values, we can, you know, adjust those out. Um, And I think that's something that companies should be focused on is making sure that they are not just measuring a number, but really understanding who's in that supplier base and giving companies feedback of what's acceptable to you and what's not. Right. I like that because that kind of goes back to the importance of role of CPO as a supplier management. So that you're really building the relationship, understanding who the suppliers are, and then using your value, and then you walk the talk. That's correct. And I appreciate your challenge as well, that there are suppliers 
who are not diverse, but they want to develop diverse suppliers. And so I think it's important to talk about and reward those organizations who are also investing in their communities in that way. Right, right, exactly. So actually, that's that's why kind of what we do in the industry leaders think tank community. Like we want to create more conscious decisions and using our spend power, right? So what do you expect from our industry leaders think tank community, and what do you want to achieve together? Yeah, I think that sharing ideas has been really beneficial for me so far in in participating in the industry leaders think tank, having a global community uh, as well, even as we think about, um, we had a discussion about the Inflation Reduction Act and really trying to understand that from a global perspective, because it is very different than what our friends in the UK do. Um, And, you know, they may be more advanced in certain areas than we are. So I think what I have enjoyed thus far and will continue to is making sure that we're leveraging a global perspective and identifying areas we can learn from one another because we might be at different levels of maturity. So that's one thing I'm really excited about. Yeah, Yeah, actually, one of my think tank members from, I think it was financial services, they kind of mentioned that uh, it's very interesting. In US, North America, we are definitely ahead of diversity concept and then inclusive maybe because of the what's happening in the you know country and in europe they definitely are ahead when it comes to scope three and climate topic so we can like, teach each other <laughs> that's right that's right that's what's exciting about a think tank and and really establishing bold goals for ourselves and and learning from that right so as we speak about diversity and then you're walking the talk as the female leaders in the procurement and um, we've been very successful and then also of course them you know ethnically you and i both are minority and i think it is very important that we can somehow pay forward and leveraging our positions and then helping others so i know you're working with a few community organization i think you're advisory board for african american leadership academy so what is this academy about? Yes. So the African-American Leadership Academy in Columbus, Ohio is near and dear to my heart. Um, I've had a number of my employees join the program and they just uh, actually graduated a group recently. It was started by Donna and Larry James, two African-American leaders in the Columbus, Ohio area that really wanted to make sure that they were investing in, you know, folks in the, in the community who may not be chosen or selected for internal development programs within their companies. There's always limited resources within organizations. And so you might find that that folks slip through the cracks. So it's another outlet to develop African-American talent. It's across, you know, corporations, um, but the participants are also in the nonprofit space, governmental space, and they're able to go through a program that really reinforces, you know, who they are. It allows them to explore who they are as professionals, who they want to be as they continue to grow in their careers, very transformative. I encourage uh, folks to follow the African-American Leadership Academy and what they've been able to execute and accomplish in the Columbus area. So to, if I understand correctly, this is for the professionals or to advance their opportunities, uh, or is it for students who just want to start a career? Yep. The African-American Leadership Academy, it's a community-based leadership development program. So it expands the number of African-American leaders who excel in their professions, regardless of what they are, and really allows them to engage in community service in Central Ohio. So the reaches across business, nonprofit, 
government education, you know, entrepreneurial sectors, and it allows them to get together once the class is selected and go through a leadership development program to expand their effectiveness in, in their organizations. Okay, so it makes sense. So this is like your contribution towards uh, African-Americans leadership development. On the other side, you're also working on another NGO, I think it's called Gladden Community House, which is related more community and people and health. So explain to me a little bit more on that and why you're doing this. Yeah, so Gladden Community House is a settlement house serving the Franklinton and near west side neighborhoods of Columbus, Ohio, and they provide a plethora of services to the community, whether it be uh, utility support, for example. Um, so making sure that they find organizations like Columbia Gas of Ohio, if they're having challenges paying their bills. Um, there is youth services that's provided as well, senior outreach. Uh, so making sure that caseworkers within Gladden are able to identify seniors who need support in the community. There is a food pantry, et cetera. So really a hub of social services for folks in Franklinton, as well as the broader Columbus area. That's kind of you getting closer to your community. So how hands-on do you get? Do you actually participate in uh, community work or are you sitting at the board? All of the above. Yes. So I, uh, so I am on the board of uh, Glatton Community House as development chair. Um, so I help them raise funds, you know, from you name the sources. Uh, we try to identify as many as possible, but I've had my team support Gladden. So we've been in to make kits for senior citizens. You know, we've brought candy in for Halloween to support the, you know, the kids in the area. We've prepared and supported their preschool graduation. So I both participate at the board level, but also within the organization as well. Great place to get back. That's great. So I, I think you raised four children. Am I remembering correctly? There are five. Um, five. <laughs> so, so five kids uh, that sit in Pennsylvania, Maryland, California, and then the youngest is in Ohio. So the youngest is 16 and the oldest is uh, 27. So it's just amazing. Sometimes like, how can you do this, right? You get that probably question very often, like, you know, being an executive and mom of five and then taking care of your community. How do you juggle it all? Yeah, I think that it's an interesting question. Everyone wakes up and decides what they're going to do every day, right? And sometimes you feel like you're winning in one area and losing in another. I think that's true whether you're a woman or a man. And that's really my approach is that I try to certainly do best for my family, try to excel in my career. And I really balance that out by supporting the community. So I've not felt, I would say, a struggle. And I don't necessarily believe in work-life balance. Um, it's really just looking at, at your calendar every day and prioritizing and moving forward. So celebrating success and, uh, and learning from what didn't work uh, is essentially how I've approached it over the years. Right. So learning. So what is your biggest lesson learned uh, in terms of leadership so far? That we're always learning. I would say, you know, in my career, I've shared opportunities to do many different things. And I think that my openness and continued openness to learn has served me very well. And so I, you know, encourage everyone, no matter how specific uh, your specialty might be, and I know tax is very specific, um, and many <laughs> folks are, uh, you know, surprised that, you know, I could, you could retire in a career leading a tax organization, 
and that said, and I think that's a great way, um, you know, to have a career, but really continuing to grow and learn has always been my goal and, and it excites me every day. So I think that's one of the greatest lessons and, you know, words of encouragement um, is to, is to continue learn and grow. Right. Speaking of learning, do you have any special books for us to read and uh, any recommendation? So one of the things that I've learned in my career is, um, you know, keeping up with the latest and greatest. So I, I read the Wall Street Journal every morning. Um, I think that's a great way to, when you're in business, make sure you're understanding what's going on in the world. Even though my organization is in six states, obviously we're impacted by the global economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think having that as a practice, you know, keeping up with the news is obviously very critical for us. And reaching out as well across industries. I think that um, in the utility space, we have a lot, and this is true of retail and other organizations where you stay within your industry often. What I love about the think tank, while we're in industry, we are able to share across the globe. So finding ways to create that variety as well. In terms of books, I think... um, I, I am not reading a specific book right now to recommend. I think that's probably because reading the Inflation Reduction Act and, and all the <laughs> other fun things um, and challenges in the supply chain has kept me quite busy. Uh, my mom recommended a book called The New Map about energy, climate, and the clash of nations. Um, Interesting that my mom would recommend that book, but uh, I have to read it. I bought it. I haven't read it yet, so it's on my mind. Wow. Wow. You, you, how old is your mom? <laughs> she's, uh, she'll be 81 years old next month. <laughs> oh, and she's awesome. She's recommending such a cool book. So yeah, we'll definitely check that out. <laughs> Good. All right. I normally like to finish the podcast uh, with uh, this final question. Finish this sentence. I am optimistic. Da, da, da. Oh, I am optimistic. So I would say I am optimistic about where we are going as a country. I think our focus on climate change and sustainability is refreshed, renewed, and I am optimistic about the future because of that. And because of my children, I know they're going to hold us all accountable for our ability to, to execute and, and improve. Yes, I remember one of your uh, daughters is actually mastering or doing PhD on sustainability, right? So she's making the policy or something. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, she's working on her PhD at UC Berkeley, uh, and she's focused on climate migration. And so she's definitely going to hold me accountable for um, my contributions or lack thereof. And I'm going to make sure it's on the contribution side to make her proud. It sounds like the whole family from your mom, yourself and your daughter, so three generations all focusing on creating clean energy and then creating better sustainable world. I feel very optimistic now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank all you. Right. Thank you so much, Sandra. This was very informative. Actually, I learned a lot. And then I'm really looking forward to working with you throughout Think Tank community and then creating bigger ripple effect on this positive energy creation. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you, Sue. Great talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Industry Leaders Journey. This series is produced by the Industry Value Chain team at SAP, where we are committed to making the world run better and improving people's lives. For more information and to access all of our podcasts, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Ariba.com.